0: You dream of more spaciousness in your life. The time to reconnect with all those things that you once loved doing. Um, What were those things again? Because for years, it's been all about work, right? You're juggling projects, maybe kids. What about you? You have all but disappeared. So sure, you read the self-help books. There's got to be tips and tricks and hacks in there, right? But nothing's really shifting. You're busy and you're getting busier, and you know deep down that something's got to give, and you're worried that it might be you. That is exactly what happened with today's guest, Peyton Hughes. She was a CEO trying to navigate the turbulence of the past couple of years with two small kids under the age of three in tow. We talk about how she went from face planting on her kitchen floor in front of her two small kids to creating this life that is no longer built on hustle hustle and grind. Sounds like a fairy tale, right? Payden decided to start taking two hours a day for herself. It seemed like an impossible goal and she had big time resistance, but she was willing to try anything. This conversation will challenge your thinking, no matter how busy or important or how many meetings you have or how driven you are. There is time for some spaciousness in your life and she's going to explain why why there's something about that spaciousness that can shift everything so maybe there was a time in your life when it was all about cramming in as much as possible saying yes to all the opportunities but I suspect you're here because that strategy is no longer serving you you're probably exhausted wondering how long this can go on if so this episode is for you But before we kick off welcome i'm your host dr mandy leto executive coach and recovering overachiever and perfectionist if your life looks shiny and together from the outside but inside you secretly never feel good enough or accomplished enough and you keep pushing relentlessly to get there and i'm putting there in air quotes because the con of this system is that you think the next bonus or the next promotion or the next shiny thing is going to finally, finally mean you've arrived. But yeah, it never does, does it? If this lands, you're in the right place and I'm so glad you're here. I drop us right into the conversation where Payden shares the turning point in her life, laying on her back, having blacked out, on the kitchen floor, her two kids with saucer eyes looking up at her, saying, Mommy, are you okay? Ready? Let's dive in.
1: I don't remember how I got there, which is how it works. And I just remember waking up, looking at the ceiling and trying to figure out where I am and orienting myself because it felt very blurry, very hazy. And I started seeing house plants and like our random rooster above the cabinets. And I'm going, is this my house? Am I in my house? Why am I on the floor? And then I tried to move my arms and I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. So then I'm freaking out. And then I hear this sweet little voice of my then three-year-old daughter going, mommy, are you okay? And I freak out inside because I'm realizing whatever just happened to me, my kids just witnessed. And the first thing I think about is uh, that's gonna put them in therapy. It's my fault. That, that I just screwed up in some huge way that my kids are now scared of what happened to their mom. And I don't even know what happened. I'm just uh, like splayed out there on the floor. And then my little son just gives me a big hug, but I can't hug him back cause I can't move my arms. And he was at that point nonverbal and a toddler. So it was a super scary moment. Tears start streaming down my face. And then I do this really sad thing, I think, was try to pretend like it was a game so my kids wouldn't freak out as if my kids aren't intelligent enough to read the vibration of mom's not well. I start to pretend like I'm playing a game called laying down on the ground and looking up at the ceiling. I tried to pass it off as a game, but nobody bought it because there's tears streaming down my face. My vibration is freaking out because I don't know what's wrong with me and I'm a borderline hypochondriac. And my daughter just looks at me like, Mom, something's wrong. And I just said, Why don't you give mom a hug right now? So my kids are, you know, snuggling me and I'm just sitting there, tears are just streaming down, and I'm thinking, what just happened? I'm 34 years old this isn't supposed to happen right now.
0: Thank you for sharing that. It takes me back to some similar moments from when I was in my burnout and it's never a an easy place to be. What was that the culmination of for you?
1: Really a lifetime of not knowing how to be kind to myself, not knowing how to be in my in my feelings, not trusting my feelings or myself. So that extended to my body. My body had been, I'd been spotting my period every few weeks for six months. That should have been a sign, but I was willing to not look at that thinking it's just a weird thing. I was breaking out all over my face. There was signs. I was having more meltdowns emotionally. I was feeling more um, unhinged and irritable. People were walking around me on eggshells. Like I could sense all of this going on, but I was, a CEO of a non-essential business during COVID that had just shuttered my family's livelihood for 10 months. And I had two children under the age of four and I didn't want anyone to be put on unemployment. So my whole focus became get through this season. And it's that classic lie. I think we tell ourselves when we're high functioning and, and anxious people is It's just this season, but I've been telling myself that since I was a child, there was always a, just this season for me in every area of my life, it was never going to give up. It might have a different flavor, but I was still in always in some demanding season, not recognizing that the common denominator of how demanding it was, was me and what I was willing to put up with. But I didn't trust my feelings. I didn't trust my body. They were inconveniences The only thing that was running the show was my head, which was full of worry that I wasn't good enough and that I needed to keep going. We're white knuckling life and it's all about the control. But it's not because you think control is bad. You think it's what helps you succeed and win. And it's the very part of you that you attach to. Even that voice of criticism, I would go, it's making me better. I'm the queen of self-development. Watch me go. I'm going to be better every day. I'm an inspiration. I mean, I really believe that was so inspiring. And part of my leadership was always willing to improve because it was never good enough for me. And I thought that was good. Obviously the people who worked with me were like, well, nothing's ever good for Payton." But a lot of the women that I work with, yeah, they very much relate. They relate a lot and it's always behind the scenes. And I know you shared, we, in several of your episodes that's come up, you know, with coaches is like, people aren't saying this publicly, but in their DMs and in their private conversations, people are saying, I'm so glad you said that. I had a woman, a CEO- very successful lawyer of her firm come in and say, I'm hiring you because you said you face planted on the floor, which tells me, you know, exactly where I am in my life right now, because I am minutes away from doing this very thing right now. And it becomes this language of understanding, but no one would know that from seeing her. No one would have known that for me. Nobody would have had a clue. And that's how it goes.
0: There's a great quote from your book by Allison Bird, who says, when you're powerful in your dysfunction, it's hard to leave. It can be really hard to leave the dysfunction of overdoing because it often has long roots. In the previous episode on high-functioning anxiety with Charlotte Fowles, we discussed the self-imposed pressure to keep up this front of positivity and productivity and efficiency and to keep crushing it, whilst on the inside, anxiety and sleep disruption and this constant state of dread is actually the norm we discussed how a lot of this relentless push yourself behavior can get laid down in childhood, meaning it's been going on for so long that it feels like part of your personality. And not only that, it can also feel that overachieving is where your real value comes from. I asked Peyton to think back where she remembers learning these behaviors.
1: I'm a pastor's kid, so I was raised to look really good for Sunday, and to be the kid in the front row with the answer, Jesus, you know, to every question. And, you know, that's not because my parents did anything wrong, it's just I was definitely raised with this concept of, and part of it's being Southern too, I might add in there. So when you've got grandparents from Texas, they're like, hey, whatever's going on behind scenes, We clean it up and we front for the family. So there was that energy. And then you add in the pastor's kid, which it's not like my parents told me to do anything. It's just everyone responded to me. Like I was somehow by proxy, a leader in the spiritual community, just by being the oldest daughter of the pastor. And I just Enneagram read it okay, cool. I'm getting more respect. I'm getting more people wanting to be in connection with me. I'm feeling more important because of this. I've got to continue what's working for me. While I knew my parents loved me deeply, specifically with my mom, she had an eye for how everything can be improved it's a positive on one side, but as a child, you just feel like it's not good enough and mom, you might've cleaned the whole, which is what I would do. I would clean the whole kitchen if I thought she was stressed out and she'd roll into the kitchen and go, that cup didn't get put away. And I would just crumble inside going, Oh my gosh, did you not just see that I did this to relieve your stress? Cause I'm a little empath wandering around here and I'm absorbing your feelings. And I'm trying to save you because that's what I think I'm supposed to do as a kid. And And it was very hard so that same little voice can, you can track that whole line back into my adulthood of going, but you didn't do this, but you left that, but you could have said this better.
0: Remember Dr. Mark Golston from episode 38? Mark taught psychiatry at UCLA for more than 25 years, and he also trained FBI hostage negotiators. In our conversation, we discussed how the need to constantly improve and fix ourselves can become an addiction. It's a way of seeking safety, but in spite of the striving, you just get burnt out. That feeling that now that I've got my promotion or bonus or the industry award or the approval of my boss, now I'll finally feel okay. Yeah, that remains elusive. And Mark reminds us why.
2: We want that feeling of wholeness, And we don't know what to do about it. And either our parents aren't able to do it. They're not able to understand us. They're not available. Or maybe they coddle us. Maybe they indulge us because they don't know what to do, which is not what we need. And what happens is, for many of your listeners, we discover achievement. And suddenly we get a smile. We get a smile from our parents. That's our daughter. Isn't she grand? And boy, we like that smile. And if we're really pretty good, we can become addicted to achievement, because we want more of those smiles. But the problem is, the smile and seeking it is a way of coping. And I actually wrote a book during the pandemic with a wonderful woman named Dr. Diana Handel, it's called Why Cope When You Can Heal. And you can do this for 20, 30, 40 years. And, and after a while you feel, I keep doing something. And instead of healing, I'm actually getting burned out. And the reason you're getting burned out is that as we go through life, coping without healing becomes more and more difficult. Because what we yearn for is to feel solid from the inside out.
0: I ask Payden about how she got solid from the inside out. How did she readjust her lifelong ways of pushing beyond her physical limitations after the kitchen floor incident?
1: So I will say that being a personal development junkie over the years benefited me because I collected quotes and wisdom, but I didn't have any integration tools. And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves or we know what to say, but to embody it and to put it into practice feels like a void. Because that's where the gap is. It's like, I knew all this stuff. I knew I was an Enneagram three. I knew the shadow of that was over identifying with being a doer and not a beer, but I didn't know what that meant. I was like, yeah, sure. I guess I should care less about my achievements. But other than that, there wasn't really an integration around that. It wasn't until I went to Sedona and met with different healers for different modalities from around the world. And I had a life-changing conversation with a guru from Germany who told me that I was driving my body like it was a Lamborghini, but it was a Toyota Tacoma. And at the moment, <laughs> it was a no- very unflattering. As an Enneagram three, it was like, that is not Ouch. a good person. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so she told me that I was this Lamborghini pretending, or I was a Toyota Tacoma pretending to be a Lamborghini and that I needed to get radical with taking alone time, which sounded truly terrifying at the time. And I think that that's a relatable place when you've been controlling your image and pushing to achieve, to achieve, to achieve. And all of a sudden someone tells you, how's your time being by yourself? And you're like, there is no time, you know, even in your latest episode, when she was talking about a client of hers who said she couldn't read a book for fun. I was like raising my hand going, yes. I would never, I couldn't even, I made fun of my husband for being obsessed with Elon Musk and Tesla because I told him, if you can't turn your obsession into a way to make money, it's pointless. That's how obsessed I was about everything has to be working towards the plan. The plan for wealth, the plan for happiness, the plan for success. Because one day when we turn magically 55 years old, if we're lucky, we are going to be geniuses about how to be happy because we think that somehow that's what's going to happen. And we're, but we don't even know how to relax on a vacation. That's the other funny part. And so we finally can get to that place. It's, it's crazy. So my, this guru told me, you know, you need to take alone time every day. This is a non negotiable for you. I mean, in her language, those was so emphatic. I really just felt like it was a prescription that I needed to fulfill. So then I became, I took my, it's like I conned myself as a little high performer into working for myself. And I really did have that consciousness, which was, you know what? The one thing I'm really freaking good at is attaching to a strategy and driving it until I achieve it. So give me a new strategy. If you, if I'm killing myself over here with these bad strategies, you've got to give me something actionable. And she did. She said, take two hours a day. And I really had a combined reaction. One was, I want to punch you in the throat for even thinking that I have two hours in a day when I have failing businesses and little children and all these stressors in my life and a background of trying to overperform and people please and self betray every day of my life. How do you possibly think I'm going to have two hours? And she said, you've got to find it. She didn't even tell me how she was just, you have to find two hours a day. And then a big part of my inner self felt this relief blood over me because I knew there was power to it. And that's basically where I said, okay, fine. And then being very Enneagram three, it was th- coming back. It was Thanksgiving. I was going, you know, it's kind of dead in my industry from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Maybe I can just work two hours less every day for these three weeks and just see if it moves the needle and just be an observer of what can happen. Let's do a grand experiment. I'm disciplined as hell, which is part of I think the the trait here or the the the, the uh, dysfunction is you really can show up with consistency if you' heart if you believe it's part of a winning strategy. And so I took that, I conned myself, took my own toxic trait and turned it into an advantage, which is I will latch onto something and try it. And I'll just be an observer of whether there was any noticeable shift. And within seven days, it was so powerful. I knew I had to keep going.
0: You know how I'm always talking about healing being nonlinear? Well, here's an example. During my own burnout recovery, when I was well enough to start some practices to address my overachieving ways, something fascinating happened. So I started meditating. That was more than 10 years ago now. So I took several courses. I read all the accompanying books. I bought the apps. I bought a lotus candle. I bought the meditation cushions. I was going to be a gold star meditator. So when my coach pointed out that I was actually using my perfectionistic tendencies on my well-being... It was a major aha moment, but it also led to a deeper breakthrough around self-awareness and finding a new way of relating to my overachiever. So I asked Peyton if she also turned her overachiever onto her well-being, and then what happened next for her?
1: I had the exact thing happen, which is I turned that intensity... The toxic trait, which is still toxic, by the way, but I used it enough to get the jump start. And then I started going, okay, so what did these healers told me? They told me I was highly intuitive. Well, intuitive was becoming a hot and trendy term in professional America as like these intuitive female leaders. And I'm like, how do they just know stuff? And then I was like, well, they told me I am. So now I'm going to use my two hours to turn on all the intuition, whatever that means. I'm going to become, and then I found out there's this thing called a third eye and there's third eye meditations. And so I went so hard on <laughs> trying to open this elusive third eye in these deep meditations. I was meditating for two hours a day with an outcome. And then thankfully, the, I got this little insight, this little inner voice going, Aren't you just performing again? And it landed in my heart as true. And I said, Yeah. Like I'm literally doing exactly what you said. I'm taking the ferocious tenacity that net, that is relentless and a tough taskmaster. And I've just turned it onto wellness and made wellness the new way to work this out. But that's not what I'm supposed to do. So I started to say, okay, I think I'm supposed to just do things I like, do things that are fun for me, like a child. Because again, all the books I'd ever read was I was not stupid about this stuff. I just wasn't doing any of it. Like when Byron Katie comes in and she talks about doing the work and she talks about loving what is, that was a transformational book that I did nothing with, but I read it and it was wise, but I didn't know it. So then that's coming back and going, what's more true here? You know, and I started now doing inquiry about what was going on in my life because I was sitting here performing. Again, I was still getting physical benefits though from taking just two hours to do whatever I wanted. That was still a transformational act of self-love and getting out of the betraying myself. So I was getting that momentum and then I was able to go, there's more here. I've barely scratched the surface and I need to retire whatever gold stars I'm here to achieve because I need to shift out of doing constantly and just breathing and being, and what do I even like? And then that was a crisis. I don't even know what makes me happy. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what I do for fun. Do I do anything for fun? Well, no, because if I couldn't monetize it, it couldn't be done. Work if it is fun, right? Work is fun. Yeah, <laughs> work is, and work actually, I, d- I do have one of those. And I think a lot of your listeners will relate to Like when you're in the flow of it, it's quite fun. And almost like an obsessive joy you might find over it, but you just have to pendulum back into some kind of a rest state And I had no skills around that and no awareness of doing that until I had become obsessive about taking two hours a day.
0: Okay, so keeping it real here... I have to confess that the corporate executive part of me that is still somewhere in my body puckered up when Peyton started talking about taking two hours off and doing things she liked and having fun and outside the recording she talked about climbing a tree or petting her cat for 30 minutes. And I almost pinged back into my previous life and I was thinking it must be nice. I remember when some of my colleagues would have a day off or go to the spa or they were really prioritizing self-care, I would I would always think like, must be nice, must be nice for some. And I also want to acknowledge that there is some privilege built into this conversation. It will be profoundly difficult for some people to take time and space for themselves. And I'm fully in acknowledgement of that here. So coming back to those feelings of it must be nice, I want you to get curious if you also puckered up when you heard those. I'm super busy. I have dry cleaning to collect. I've got dates to take care of. I've I've got aging parents. I've got 762 emails to respond to. I can just feel the clenched upness of that and I feel it myself too. I hear you. So I asked Peyton, what about those people listening who've reacted like that? What would you say them?
1: I would first offer a challenge to that. And I would ask how many times are you zoning out at your work desk? How many times are you aimlessly checking your email? How many times do you have such low energy that you're relying on a fourth cup of coffee at 3 PM to get you through the rest of your day? And if there's a, hmm, okay, I relate to that Peyton. and I'm willing to bet there's a full hour that's available to you in that work day right there. Now, in our world that is evolving, in the corporate space that is evolving, where working from home is now something that's becoming more common. Whereas a few years ago, that would have been quite laughable outside of the you know tech startup space. We're seeing some shifts, a big shift I would advocate for is, can we be a- accountable to outcomes versus hours? And can there be some shifting around that where you're managing your energy, not your time? And I think when we can make that shift, that's a really powerful shift, even at, especially at a senior level, because what I came to find, I'm an entrepreneur. So of course I didn't have a manager watching me and I was very outcome oriented, but what I discovered in myself and what I'm finding in my own clients who are in corporate, where that was their biggest concern, which is Peyton, how are you possibly going to get me to find alone time when, you know, I I work 60 hours a week and I have to be billable 32 of those hours. And the rest of the time I'm managing my team in those meetings, like I don't see a lot of discernible wiggle room here. And so we started looking at, well, how can you manage the outcome instead of being billable by the hour? Can you you have certain outcomes that you're shifting to? Well, no one's even asked the question. Well, it's just how it's done. I'm just thinking there's a lot of wiggle room around how it's done and how it can be done. So that's the first place I would look. Now, if that shows up in the audit of the current use of time is like, man, you are a machine and there is no way to stop this down. Now we have to look at pockets of time that are also available to you, which becomes increasingly hard if you've got little kids and you know, you're know you doing all the juggle. Then I start to say, well, what can you do? It doesn't, there's the magic of two hours is that you can lose yourself And forget the time. And what that does to your nervous system is magical. But if you can't get there, just finding 30 minutes is a really great place to start patterning self-trust and not betraying. And then maybe on the weekend, you can get a luxurious two or three hours to yourself. And that really gives you that fuel and that sense of, I can really relax into my existence and remember that the life that I'm working so hard to build doesn't have to be miserable until I retire.
0: If you're feeling at all burnt out, one thing that you'll realize quite quickly is that you've lost both your sense of humor and your sense of curiosity and possibility. It's so easy to start fighting for your limitations. I can't do this. And the list of reasons is as long as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Nope, can't do it. Not me. But honestly, if somebody was following you around with a clipboard capturing what you're up to every day, what would be on that list? Maybe you get sucked into handling way too much non-promotable work, organizing things for others that will never be recognized at the workplace. Or maybe you scroll on Instagram, 20 minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there. You deserve some zone out time after all. And those squirrel dancing videos, yeah, God love them. Or maybe you play video games on your phone or you fill your basket online with dream purchases in your favorite shops, things that you never intend to buy. Or maybe you lost an hour looking for sourdough recipes online. None of this is a judgment. Just get curious about these little acts of rebellion. Time for you, but they get lost in the mush of the zone out. This part of the process is filled with clues.
1: I even love how users said it was little acts of rebellion. What are we rebelling against? I mean, let's get to the heart of why do we have to rebel? Because we all do that. Very relatable, squirrel dances included. We sit there and we feel justified. I've worked so hard, I deserve this break. And you add those breaks up, you have your time. You really do. No one's gonna notice that you're not there, truly. That's actually one of the biggest fears that when we go, well, let's just try it on a Friday. Let's just try it on a Friday. Is anyone noticing that the least productive two hours of the work week are Friday between three and 5 p.m.? Of course. And we all know this. We know you don't send emails on a Friday afternoon to your audience. Why? Because nobody's wanting, they're going to delete everything. It's not even, they're so checked out at that time. They're not engaged with those acts of rebellion are really saying, I deserve something for me. There's a heart crying deep inside of that. and I would say, then let's answer it and let's answer it intentionally and let's give it its day let's give it them some time and let's see and get playful with where can we sprinkle this into our day and how what's feeling really good and different things for different people the one thing that I'll throw in that that I did quickly learn was that I needed to stop filling that time with more information no more podcasts no more listening to audiobooks which I love both obviously but I really just needed to be in my own thoughts. And when I did that, what was wild is I started just going on hot walks, not even hikes because I didn't have workout clothes. I didn't have time to put on workout clothes and get back into my like corporate style and then get back in. I was just like, whatever, I'm just gonna walk somewhere with trees where there's a sun experience on my face. I'm just gonna think my own thoughts. And I would go on a little walk by myself and what would drop in Was wisdom from books that I've listened to, podcasts that I remember hearing, a quote from a good book. At the perfect time as I was sorting through all the stuff that gave me anxiety in the back of my brain, and I was actually allowing it to come forward and order itself. It was wild. I was like, this is so transformational. I'm doing nothing but just giving myself space to think my own thoughts.
0: To finish, Peyton has another perspective on why taking daily time for yourself is so important, even if it's just 15 minutes. It's not just for integration and letting the wisdom bubble up. It's not just to honor that the journey itself should be punctuated with some fun and space. The now is all we have, right? If not now, then when? It's not just for mental and physical health, though those are important too, obviously. It's also for your leadership.
1: Well, then as a leader, your best value is your energy and the authentic inspiration that you have that creates meaning for the people who work with you. Yeah. Like they're going to come to you with the same burnout because guess what? When burnouts attract burnouts, If you don't think that your burnout, you think your burnout problem is affecting just you, look who you've hired, look who's on your team, because I guarantee there's a like attracts like situation and they're all silently dying their own deaths, thinking they're trying to please you, which you would never want because you would never want the life you're choosing for yourself or anyone else. So as you look at that kind of, I'm not saying this to add more guilt or responsibility, but here is the power move, especially as women and especially as leaders. Is when we actively show up for our best and we prioritize our energy and we come in hot to meetings with an inspiration saying, I just got a walk and I had three genius ideas cruise in. You've just modeled balance. You've just modeled for everybody there that your best ideas aren't coming when you're fried, exhausted and slamming through a to-do list. They come, why did, why did they come in the shower? It's nothing magical about a shower. It's probably one of the only times you're alone and you're not listening to anything. Mm-hmm. So what if you could recreate the shower phenomenon during the workday? And what would that do? What permission would that model for everyone on your team? And how could we be part of a greater systemic shift where we aren't just mini computers plugging away and getting our to-do list done every day, but we're actually honoring our humanness, which also is the birthplace of creativity. I love that. I ask every
0: guest on the show to share a brick of wisdom, something that you want to leave people to think about who are probably going, oh my goodness, I feel some green shoots of hope or something stirring inside. What would you like to leave them with?
1: That you're not alone, that this is a very felt experience, especially around high achieving women. And mothers. This is a very, very common conversation being had. And you get to break some of this patterning for future generations. And there's purpose and power in that. I
0: have become much more aware of my little scrolling habits, the the constant inputs. So I've started doing my dog walk without a podcast playing or without music playing. And Peyton's right. You do get a lot of wisdom drops when there's actually some spaciousness in your life. So, what are you going to action from this episode? Because it's all about the integration. You can find more out about Peyton and her book, Take Two, on her website. That's peydenhughes.com. And also find her on Instagram. All the links will be in the show notes. So, who do you know who needs this episode? Thank you so much in advance for sharing and keep your Spotify and Apple podcast reviews coming in. Those help the show immensely and I'm so grateful that you're doing those. We're going to do this all again in two weeks, but in the meantime, find me on Instagram at Mandy Leto.